0: and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. I'm Rudy Fala, the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast, and this episode is hosted by Sarah Palmbush.
1: Welcome to the Voice of Fintech podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with Rod Baud-Vlar, who's managing partner at Finch Capital. Finch Capital has offices in Amsterdam, London, and Jakarta. Welcome, Rodboud. Thank you. Could you could you first give a, a brief introduction um, of yourself?
2: Yeah, so my name is uh, Rodboud Vlaar. It's a very uh, Dutch name. Um, I uh, live in Amsterdam. Before uh, Finch Capital, uh, I was 10 years with McGinsey, and before that with TPG. And next to Finch Capital, i also in the supervisory board of Robeco. And uh, married, have three children, live in Amsterdam, and before Corona was traveling quite a bit. Okay,
1: Um, and so um, now maybe you can tell me a little bit about Finch and uh, when it was founded.
2: Yeah, we started in 2013, so I co-founded it and we had the first close of the first fund in uh, 2014. We uh, had a a focus initially on financial technology in Europe and expanded that also to Southeast Asia Uh, towards the end of 2016, and we have an office in uh, Amsterdam, London, and in uh, Jakarta, and then we have team uh, in the team people from different nationalities, different backgrounds, uh, in terms of investing background, entrepreneurial backgrounds, uh, financial institution backgrounds, and uh, invest in the financial technology sector broadly defined. So it includes banking, payments, insurance, uh, real estate, uh, health. Uh, and then a combination of companies that look to disrupt these the financial sector, as well as companies that use uh, software uh, with a strong focus on AI and IOT to help the financial sector to improve, but they can also sell that to uh, other sectors, but but the area where we can help most is uh, with help them to grow in the financial sector.
1: Okay. So uh, how much money have you raised since since you started?
2: So we're now almost at the uh, 400 million. So we're, we started with fund one, then raised fund two in 2016. We did the first close of our fund three, out of which we're investing now. And then we also have a Southeast Asia dedicated uh, fund. Uh,
1: how many, how many uh, companies have you invested in so far?
2: We're almost at 40. It's uh, maybe 39 or maybe 40, uh, but but just around 40. Mm-hmm.
1: And what is the what is the main life cycle uh, that you're looking at when you're investing?
2: You mean the stage of the company or the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so initially, I think we had quite a broad uh, range of, from companies that were just started to companies that were already having like 10, 20 or even more millions in uh, in revenues. In uh, the second fund, we, we started more as of half a million revenues and... Now we invest more as of two to five million uh, revenues. so call it the the solid series a B and uh, but, but companies that have product market fit and uh, and some more proof on, on revenues and ability to scale uh, the product
1: mm-hmm. and that that goes beyond borders so you're not just looking in in the places where you have offices are you looking worldwide or
2: No, we focus on, so we have a European fund that focuses on Europe, uh, so that's basically from Ireland, UK, Nordics, uh, to Poland, and uh, we also have investments in uh, Spain, so it excludes Middle East, Africa, uh, the US, uh, we don't invest, so that's purely focused on Europe, and then the Asian fund focuses on Southeast Asia, so Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, uh, so, so, so the bigger Southeast Asian growth markets.
1: Mm -hmm. But you're really focused on um, not just fintech companies, but you were saying different other types of uh, technology focus. But you are known as a fintech investor, correct?
2: Yeah. So first, financial technology is uh, two sides. So it is the companies that disrupt the financial sector. But we increasingly have seen since uh, 15, 16, that a lot of growth is in companies that sell software to financial services. So you can think about companies in the robotics space like UiPath that make a very important part of their revenues from the financial sector. Uh, So it's more in that space that from AI, robotics, IoT, that uh, we have made a couple of investments that have a strong link with the financial sector but probably are not defined as fintech by most people, but, but they have a strong linkage or dependence or growth potential by knowing how to sell into or make products that are relevant for the financial sector. Mm
1: -hmm. And do you think that uh, there's still quite a long way to go in terms of uh, financial technology? I mean, what I mean to say is that in a lot of the larger uh, financial organizations, it seems that there are many ways in which they could streamline or what are some of the stories perhaps you could share client-wise with ways your companies you've invested in have helped
2: yeah, so think about KYC and onboarding. So we've invested in a company called Fortline. So they work for companies that are uh, challengers, so I think the number 26, but also for companies that are active in the uh, trading space. So think about the, 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 the digital brokers or the traditional uh, brokers, but also insurance companies, banks. And you increasingly see that there are a lot of cost being made by financial institutions to onboard. On the other hand, there is a lot of regulatory pressure to do that well, document it well, uh, and use the best technologies and processes to, to ensure that there's a good documentation of the, the clients that are onboarded and that you don't make uh, mistakes there. Because there could be high fines issued by uh, regulators. And so they have seen a very strong growth uh, there, and so so we like the the space of uh, AML, KYC, e-identity, fraud detection, fraud prevention, whether it's insider trading. So, so that's like a whole uh, team where we made investments. Uh, then there is think about the uh, on the legal, uh, accounting, payment sites, whether it's on the payroll side. So. These are just examples where there is a link with financial services because they, they might make most of the revenues on payments, but, but you could see it as more of a traditional uh, play. But for financial solutions, it's everything that can help to reduce costs, simplify things, uh, improve the customer experience, whether it's like software that can help integrate new distribution technologies into legacy systems, for example, in the area of insurers or can help with a faster and better. Claims management, uh, so so that the cost of claims is lower for insurers, where we invest in a company called uh, Fixico. So these are some of the examples of companies we invested in.
1: Mm -hmm. So how do you find them? I think I saw on LinkedIn you have a a special robotic tool or something. Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, that's uh, uh, Florence. Uh, So we also... uh, at the time when this was developed, uh, Lawrence was an associate, he's now investment manager, and Florence was then uh, our robotics AI-enabled tool. And basically, it helps us to, to analyze data uh, from different sources uh, on, on the web and databases to see what are good companies that are relevant for us. And it basically generates a, a set of companies that are fitting our investment criteria and our worthwhile to look into and for us that's a pretty good source complementing uh, our own network and so far has proven to, to to bring additional companies that otherwise we wouldn't have met or maybe would have met uh, later
1: what what is your investment approach in terms of size of the stake board seat time to exit that sort of thing
2: in general we have always been a lead investor from, from the start typically more 15 to 25 percent we're also comfortable going up to 50 percent we always have in principle a board seat typically a board seat and a board observer seat sometimes if we have a bigger stake like in if we have a stake of 40 percent, we can even have two board uh, seats so we're pretty actively helping uh, the the companies we invest typically yeah what is needed to get to that ideally 30 percent and over time we're also going to go a, a bit higher and that can be initially 3 million, can be 5 million, can be 7 million, uh, but that's typically the initial tickets are more in the, say, 3 to 7 million, uh, and then we follow on after that. Uh, and we, in principle, for, for the capital efficient businesses, uh, can uh, continue till the end so that no further front raises are needed. Uh, for the more capital intense businesses, so companies that need to raise in the hundreds of millions, we, we tend to prefer more the uh, 15 to 25% stakes, uh, and then follow on uh, and have other investors also joining.
1: Could you share some success stories um, of companies you've invested in and, and that have exited well?
2: yeah we're uh, in the first fund we were of course relatively on the early stage so several of the companies are uh, still growing but we sold the company Solfiel to uh, Zurich. Uh, we have sold Sarmati to uh, uh, BCA. it's a big bank in Southeast uh, Asia. Uh, then we did the secondary transaction of one of the uh, companies. But most companies and the, the, the best performing are still in the uh, portfolio. And uh, so we have names like uh, Grab, which is a, a ride-sharing uh, payments uh, company in Southeast Asia, Zopa in the UK. We have for uh, the people in the Netherlands uh, and in Europe, uh, Bucks, which is uh, like a Robin Hood, low-cost trading uh, play. And then we have several of the B2B companies that are maybe not necessary that well uh, known by the typical audience, but but companies like uh, Fortline, uh, Hyber in the uh, satellite uh, business, and in the UK we have Goodlord, uh, Trussell. They're in the mortgage space and in the rental uh, space. And then we have several companies in Asia, which is probably not too well known in the uh, in the European end.
1: Um, on, on that note, what are some of the cultural differences that you come up against
2: in terms of investing? Within Europe, you mean, or in Europe and Asia, or
1: well. Where you're located, yeah, in in Europe, in Asia.
2: I think um, there are, I think a lot of the startups have international teams uh, these days. So, so you have, of course, a lot of cultures typically within uh, companies. Uh, I, I think some are set up with people that are very experienced, come more out of corporate jobs, and some are coming coming out of not, not necessarily out of university but have a few years work experience typically at a startup or so, so the, the the mindset where and the context some find it then very easy to navigate and close deals with uh, the bigger financial institutions other one get very frustrated by the speed uh, difference at which a startup operates and versus a big uh, financial institution we have people that have had several companies before, like the serial entrepreneurs, people that do it for the first time. So I would say the the, the biggest differences are people that have run uh, for us basically have run a company before, know how it is to raise money, how to develop a product for versus like the first time uh, founders. I think cultural wise there are some differences b- between the uh, countries in in Europe, but uh, I think most entrepreneurs are quite like-minded in that they have a strong drive, ambition or vision and they have a high pace of, of uh, trying to and aim to realize that. So you see differences in locations in terms of how easy it is to hire people, engineers or not, whether people are more sticky uh, to a company or whether they hop more around. That, that's where you see differences when there's a lot of hype and a lot of capital in cities that, that people might do jobs for two to three years rather than stick uh, around. So the Netherlands, we have seen much more people staying with the company, whereas, for example, in Berlin, but also in Barcelona and in uh, London, we have sometimes seen people moving around a a bit quicker.
1: Um, I was also wondering in terms of culture about what people's expectations are when like how much stake you take in the company, that sort of thing, because I feel like or I've heard that it's different in different countries how people are dealing with shares in the company, for, for example. Is there anything that you can add?
2: I would say it's more founder-specific than location-specific. The, some would like to have one partner and focus on, they're, they're just not passionate about fundraising, so they'd rather have, like, like, how they would see it, one partner that helps them with the funding till the end, which sometimes creates challenges uh, if things don't go as smooth as expected. And other people see it very transactional, like, uh, I want to close this round who gives me the most money for the highest valuation. And then each round, I, they look for other investors. So the relationship with the founder or the founding team, uh, you see differences, but so far we haven't really seen, uh, I think a lot of the rounds are quite similar that they try to give away 15 to 25%. Sometimes there's a bit more with secondaries, but there's not like a huge uh, difference.
1: Okay. And you have an office in London. Is Brexit going to have any effect on what you're doing there?
2: No, not really. Like the UK is uh, 30% roughly of our the, the, of the investments we have done. So it's an important uh, market for us. We have uh, a team uh, in London. And so we're happy that we're in London, but we're also happy that we have a, a team and offices outside uh, the UK. So for us, actually, we were already set up for... Uh, let's say, a Brexit-resilient uh, setup. So w- w- the UK remains a very big uh, domestic uh, market, so it will remain attractive for, for companies to launch new uh, products. The, the way and to the extent which London will be continue to be the, 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 the European hub uh, where companies will be based that will conquer from there Europe, uh, I think that will probably evolve uh, a bit, bit over time. But, but as we are active in Europe and with, the, with both sides of the canal, of the so both in the UK and in continental Europe, we're, we're flexible. And also our team in, in London works not only in the UK, they also work in, in other countries. Uh, so from that point of view, there will not be that much difference.
1: And do you have any um, advice that you'd like to share with people that might be looking to do the same thing that you're doing? Start up a, a venture capital firm at this point?
2: Yeah, so if, I think if you start a fund, focus on where you have an edge or where you have where you can bring extra value or insights compared to an average. So I think if you start a generalist fund, that is probably a bit harder unless uh, you have a long track record at an established uh, VC, road fund, uh, and you can bring that track record uh, and, and your connections with that. But otherwise, focus on the team. And I think you need to be lucky with the timing. So we were relatively lucky uh, that we choose uh, financial technology as a team, which uh, since we started, took off. Uh, so, so that helps to differentiate uh, yourself. And so you need to be a bit lucky with the timing and it needs to fit where you your passion is and where you have an edge in, in terms of, towards the entrepreneurs also to help them. So timing I think is both very important in when you make investments, but also the same applies to when you launch your own firm or fund that you need to be lucky with the timing. Like people that started with their new fund just before the corona crisis started probably are facing quite some difficulties because it's very difficult to meet investors in your fund.
1: Does it help to do cooperation with other people in the startup ecosystem?
2: Yeah, I think yeah, everybody collaborates and at the same time, if there's a good deal, because the numbers game here is that it's a few winners that... Have a very large impact on the the outcome is that there is collaboration, but if there is a real conviction that this is going to be what they call a fund returner, there is typically not so much uh, collaboration. So there is typically a lot of collaboration for follow-on rounds, and with the seed funds, they uh, collaborate with the people that uh, invest after them, and the same with the growth funds. So, like in the life cycle of uh, a startup, everybody is collaborating because. There are times when you need a new investor and other investors add value to make the company more successful, Uh, but it's typically very complementary stage-wise and expertise-wise where where we see a lot of collaboration.
1: Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: I think it's an exciting time for FinTech. So everybody uh, who is working at a bank or insurer or asset manager or in the financial sector and sees big opportunities, I would encourage them because with technology and in the current environment, there's there's a lot of potential to, to set up your own company and make a, an amazing product and, and get funded.
1: Okay, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Radboud. And good luck.
2: Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the, for the interview.
0: Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.